Welcome back to a new episode of the Tri-State Sports Bee, episode number 105. Nick and Joe back at it again, as per usual. So we're going to switch things up a little bit. We do have a lot to talk about. Um, Knicks, Nets, all of our usual stuff going on. But we're going to start off with the NHL today. Switch it up a little bit because a big trade, well, I wouldn't say a big trade, but a couple of middle-of-the-road acquisitions have happened with the New Jersey Devils, so we'll talk about that. But we'll talk about the team that just played, and we just watched them a couple hours ago. That's the New York Rangers, of course, Joe's team. Rangers won four straight after losing to Boston this afternoon, 3-1. to one. Um, You know, as, cur- as currently they stand, 30-24, seven points out of the last wild-card spot, which is Columbus. Uh, Joe. What do we? How do? You, well, how are you feeling about the Rangers at this point? Right now, after dige- digesting this loss, um, I can't be like super mad about mm-hmm. it. Uh, a few individual players, like I said when we were watching the game, like Jacob. Truba, Jacob Truba. I'm not too happy with right now. We'll, we'll, I mean, he's got. We a can big, expand on that a little. Yeah, more he's later. got a big contract and everything. But like you said, we'll get back to that. Um, Team wise, it was a little sloppy. Especially in the defensive zone, just mm-hmm. like passing, coordinating things, plays, just didn't look like the the New York Rangers that I watched a few nights ago against Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Didn't watch the Columbus game, but watched the Minnesota game, um, where they came back down three to one, and in the last, I believe it was like seven minutes, mounted a comeback, brought it to overtime, brought it to shootout, and ultimately won in the shootout. Mm-hmm. I think this whole goaltending switching thing is starting to get to him. You think that you think that's the biggest problem? I don't think it's the biggest problem. Uh, big biggest problem I think is definitely defense. But I mean, for a goaltender, like it's hard for you to get in the groove of things while you're sitting out for an extended period of time. Mm. So I think they've contained Lundqvist a little bit better in these past few games. But I mean, with she's she's being uh, slightly hurt. They didn't have him in the lineup tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe in the Columbus game, either they didn't have him 
uh, in the lineup. Well, Jor- so well Georgiev, Georgiev was in net, but it's not like he played a horrible game. No. And, and I don't think the defense really helped them out as much as they could have. Yeah. Like I said, defensive zone was just sloppy. Breakouts, sloppy. And I just, yeah, I just think, and I think offensively on the other end, you know, they were having real trouble trying to hit the net tonight against mm-hmm. your, against Halak. And it was, you know, it, it was weird because, you know, we see this Ranger team, you know, Panarin, 29 goals, 77 total points. Zibanejad, who scored today. Uh, Strom, D'Angelo, Chris Kreider, who's been on a hot streak these last six games. You know, and I mean, granted, there are people like things happen. Like you're not going right? to have those streaks all the time. But For sure. The thing is, they only had 26 shots on net tonight. Mm-hmm. Like <clears throat> you're going up and against not the to mention team in the NHL, right? And not to mention they let up a shorthand goal, which made it two nothing at that mm-hmm. point. You know that didn't help their confidence they got, either. They got a lucky bounce on their. Boston got a lucky bounce on their first goal off of one Jacob, Jacob Truba. Truba. Yes, it was. It was a deflected. It was deflected off of. I can't uh, remember whose foot it deflected off, but it deflected off of uh, Bo- uh, one of the Boston offensemen, skate blades, and came up, hit off of Truba's shoulder, mm-hmm. went right over Georgiev's head. So I mean, you can't. I mean things happen you can't blame them for that goal it's mm-hmm. just bad luck wrong spot wrong time right um but like i said overall disappointing play coming off a four a four game win streak three of those games being on the road too mm-hmm. so three sure. of those games they had a three game the three game away home, uh, uh sweep mm-hmm. basically so coming off of that coming the coming Madison Square Garden your home arena and and laying almost an egg to Boston is kind of disappointing, whether they're the top seed or they're not. That's true. I mean, they they did not have Tuukka Rask in there, which is, I guess, you could what you take from that is whatever. But the Rangers only were able to get one goal off of Halak. Now, not to say Halak's a bad goaltender by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, you know, Boston didn't need to put their number one guy out there against the Rangers, who, you know, are... You know, a little bit away from a playoff spot, but it's very manageable. You know, we've seen crazier shit happen before. Um, let's talk about the goaltending a little more. Um, Georgiev and Shesterkin. Um, it's been reported that Shesterkin is now the number one guy for the Rangers. You, what do you think about that? I think it's a great confidence boost yeah. for him. Um, <clears throat> with all the speculation of him being being the basically heir to the throne after Henrik. Mm-hmm. It's good to see that the team, the coaching, the GM, all the whole organization is behind you in that in that little uh, phrase or statement. Um, so they're obviously giving him his shot, and so far he's proved it being six and one in net so mm-hmm. far. Now, granted, he's a little banged up right now. I'm sure he'll be back very soon, um, but I mean. Georgiev, you can't take away what Georgiev had. Right. It's, yeah. I've so, been a big advocate of that. And you know? with and with the trade deadline looming for the Rangers, this has been a question almost all season. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep playing this three goalie roulette, or are you going to scratch somebody every game? Or are you going to keep them on the roster? Or are you going to trade them? Mm-hmm. So it's it's a sigh of relief for Shesterkin. Because you know, and I don't think they were trading him. Or no, they, him I think he's anyway. still he's still got so much potential, and he's you know I think eventually he's going to be that number one guy for the Rangers, and I feel like they would be silly, stupid to even entertain the fact of trading but now, him. But now you have Georgiev backing him up, true, and the trade 
trade deadline is still looming on his mind. Hugely. Especially being between a rock and a hard place. True. So, yes, he 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 dropped the game tonight, but... He really? still played was well. It, was it his fault? It wasn't bad. Exactly. It was not bad. Exactly. Um, we're talking about the trade deadline, so let's talk about like the biggest story for the Rangers of the trade deadline is Chris Kreider, you know, longtime Ranger, four goals, one assist in the last five games, and he's playing, and he played pretty well tonight. You could see. Should the Rangers really reconsider trading him? We've talked about this for the past two weeks. Whether you know the Rangers are really going to consider moving on from Kreider, he's on an expiring contract. He's not. He's probably not a part of the Rangers' long-term future going forward. You know, he's been a part of their past more so than anything. Should the Rangers really reconsider trading him at this point? I mean, I think whether he had this stint or not, it was weighing on our our minds. Yeah. Whether it's a good idea to trade Kreider or not. He's been such a focal point in this rebuild. He's been such a focal point of this team in general, even through the playoff run, the Stanley Cup run that we had in 2013. So it's hard. It's And I'm going to say it, it's almost as hard as having trade talks with Henrik Lundqvist mm-hmm. because he has been such a big part of both sides of this team, mm-hmm. the successful and the rebuilding side of it. Right. And now him showing his talent, is it showing? Is he showing his talent to raise the market? Or is he showing his talent Impress to... Impress other teams and stuff like that. Or is he showing his talent to say, I don't want to go? That's honestly a fair question. I really, I mean, none of us know the answer to that except for Chris Kreider, obviously. But I don't know. I feel like he doesn't want to be traded from the team. I feel like he wants to be here. I think, you know, he's been a lifetime Ranger. Is that right? Yeah, like, yeah. um, so I don't feel like, yeah, I don't feel like he wants to go, but if he's going to go, he's probably going to go to a contender, a guy, uh, you know, a team that's contending right now for, you know, in a high playoff spot. So I think they should kind of reconsider. I think, you know, maybe you get a couple good years out of him and then maybe you see what the market is for him, but I would hold on to him for now. So to finish with the Rangers, your issue with Jacob Trouba right now. Yeah. That's a big topic of conversation. Um, he's just, for the amount of money that we have him for, what were we talking about earlier? We were talking about $12 million in cap space, I believe, for Jacob Truba. Uh, I'll look it up. I'm pretty sure it was 12 for this season. His base salary is like something like $8 million. Uh, he's got $4 million in, in signing bonuses. You really think seven goals and 17 assists in 57 games mm-hmm. backs that pay grade up? Not really. <laughs> like, and, and to top it all off, a minus 10. Granted, he's a defenseman. You're going to be out there for some goals. True. But like, when you're a top-tier defenseman that we thought we were bringing in, it's got to be a little bit better than that. It's just he's been a disappointment lately. And today, with the whole the 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 sloppy defensive end play, it just didn't back his game up whatsoever. He was, supposed to, he was supposed to come here to kind of stabilize the youngsters mm-hmm. like Brady Shea, right? And and now we have McKeg, and so it was. It's just our back end is just not doing what it needs to do. 
So Jacob Truba's contract, seven years, $56 million. That's the entirety of the contract. This year, he's making a base salary of $4 million and an $8 million signing bonus. So that's $12 million coming off the books this year for the Rangers. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I said McKeg. I meant, um, what's his face? Adam Fox. Yeah. Young guy. So uh, the contract is just huge. Compared to and the fact is, he's not making the bulk of his money until like the last, his, like his fifth year. Or yeah, something, right. Yeah. So, and that's the other thing we have him locked up for so long. And I'm pretty sure if you look back on that, he does. He has a no. He has a no movement clause until 2024-2025 season, where he's only making six million dollars, no signing bonus. So, we're going to have to pay. To move him. I mean, you have to Unless be, he wants to reconstruct it, but he's not going to want to reconstruct it. No, I mean, the Rangers have two more years of giving him, uh, giving him a lot of signing bonus. I mean, this he's making... His, this is his first year here. Yes. So in I'm 2020... Gonna him, I'm going to give him this year. If he doesn't prove anything next year, I want to try to negotiate with the no-move clause. So in 2020-21, next year, he's making $2 million base salary, but an $8 million signing bonus. That's $10 million next year. The year after that, he's making $8 million next year. And, you know, he's kind of making the bulk of his, his annual salary now. But as it keeps going, you know, he's going to make a base salary in 2023-2024 of $8 million. That's the most out of any year in this contract. So, and again, that's two years. That's the last year of his no-movement clause. So he's got two years that the Rangers can trade him in 2024-2025, if he's still going to be here. And you know what the funny thing is? I warned myself of this with Panarin, where these star players come here all the time mm-hmm. and they fold. I thought Truba was going to stay consistent. Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to be okay, and Panarin was going to be the guy that folds because just normally with the Rangers, whatever That's reason, how it works. The offensemen always fold when they come to Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. I did not expect it from Truber. So that, I think that's why I'm like upset about the whole thing. But, I mean, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I keep telling myself we're still in that rebuild stage, so... This point it's, okay to lo- it's okay to lose games. Oh, right? no, no kidding. <laughs> although, although, I am happy at where they stand so far because... What, normally, when you're in a rebuild stage, you're at the bottom of the barrel. The Rangers have found a way to win more games than they lose. In and still be in the thick stage. of it. Yeah. I mean, they're only, what is this? Seven. Seven points out of the first wild card spot mm-hmm. behind Philadelphia, and they hold a game in hand. So, can you really be upset? Not super upset. Not really, especially because of how the season started for them. You can't, yeah. you can't be upset yeah. at you know how they're playing right now. I know they just lost to Boston, but Boston's one of the better teams in the league this year. So you can't be upset about that. It will, but. Be, it will be interesting. And the other thing is um, that that concludes the Rangers-Boston Right, and Boston series. sweeps them three games, nothing. Yeah, you know, it's, for this year. Yeah, for I mean, this year. But, you know, if you're a Ranger fan, I know you're a little disappointed right now because of how individuals are playing. But as a team, I think you have somebody to kind of something to kind of be proud of going forward, and some kind of hope at least. Yeah. Because you saw that third period by them, you know they were flooring all over the place team. in the third period. They're a resilient team, and you know what? Those those three games, the one or, I'm sorry, those two games that they had previously, the one against Columbus, 
and the one against Minnesota. I'm not 100% sure about the one in Winnipeg, but the Minnesota and the Columbus game, they, they fought to come back mm-hmm. in those games. So the resilience of this team is extraordinary. Um, and having that in a young core right now is it's important. It's important, too, as well. All right, so that's really it for the New York Rangers. Let's move on to the other New York team, the New York Islanders, the best of the three, obviously, 33-18. and 18. Holding on to that third place in the Metro Division, one point ahead of the first wildcard spot, which is Columbus as we stand. Their last five games have not been promising. They're 2-3. and three. The loss at Tampa Bay, a win at Washington, a win versus Philly, a loss at, at the Nashville Predators, and a loss at the Vegas Golden Knights yesterday. Um, I mean, not much really to report on the Islanders other than the fact that they made the trade with the Devils, which we'll get to in a little bit. But, I mean... All really as normal for the New York Islanders. Matthew Barzell leads the team with 48 total points, 18 goals, 30 assists on the on the season. You know, like all the guys you expect to be there on the top of the charts: Nelson, Josh Bailey, Anthony Beauvillier, Andres Lee, Jordan Eberle. I mean, all is really the same as far as the Islanders go. I mean, they're still holding on to that third spot in the Metro. Not exactly where I thought they were going to be. I thought they were going to be a little better than this. But of course, they've slumped a little bit. Of course, you know, losing three of their last five. Um, the goaltender situation, I mean, it's pretty. It's been pretty much the same all season long. Uh, Varlamov seventeen and ten, two point five five goals against. Grice is sixteen and eight with a two point six five goals against. So I mean, it's working for the Islanders right now. These two, these these this two goalie rotation, and they're just kind of cruising. I think right now, they're just kind of you know being middle of the road. They're kind of being a little under the radar. I think. I think this is actually a good thing for the Islanders. Because if they're a little under the radar going into the playoffs, they might explode at the right time in the playoffs and maybe make a big run. That's what I'm thinking, honestly. So, you have anything to comment? No, I think you kind of nailed it on the head. Like they're they're playing under the radar right now. Um, I think let's we're starting to move into that trade deadline time, and mm-hmm. they like you mentioned, they did make a uh, trade with the New Jersey Devils to to acquire Andy Green, captain mm-hmm. of the New Jersey Devils. Yep. Um, I think it's going to add to their 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 blue line presence, especially with uh, Adam Pelech's, uh Achilles rupture ending mm-hmm. his season this year. So it's going to it's going to bring a veteran presence to that blue line. Um, I think they're going to they're going to fare pretty well towards the end of the season. Uh, do they hold on to that third spot? I'm not 100% sure. I think they might drop I mean, a wild card. But. I think the Andy Green trade, you know, their, that trade aspect of the Andy Green deal, I think it really shores up the Islanders' defense. I mean, you look at them, they've been solid all year, all year long. Uh, Polak, Teus, Nick Letty, uh, Johnny Boychuk, can't forget. I mean, adding Andy Green really, I think, only makes the Islanders better. It won't give them a huge goal <laughs> score, believe me. But Andy Green's a big body to you know maintain on that blue line and defend really well. You know, odd man rushes. He's fantastic. He's great. So I mean, it's some. He's somebody that you're going to be able to rely on for for the youngsters. For sure. Uh, what is it? Fourteen years in the yeah. NHL for mm-hmm. Andy Green. All for the Devils. So he's he's pushing that hundred uh, that one thousand regular season game mark. Mm-hmm. So. But again, he's, he's got, not. He's, he's not. Got the, he, yeah, he's got the knowledge of the game. Mm-hmm. It's not that he he's a big goal scorer. I think that's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. I think that. This they is a win-now move for the Islanders. It is. They need somebody to rely on to know 
where to move the puck, when to move the puck, and get it to the low scorers. Not mm-hmm. necessarily... He's a defenseman. He's yeah. not going to be that big goal scorer. He's not going to be that big blast from the point, but he's going to know who to give it to to get it past the goaltender. Right. So I guess that's a good segue into my New Jersey Devils. They've won three of their last five. They're currently winning in Columbus right now, which is astonishing. Which is um, awesome for the Rangers. Which Thank is, you. You're helping us. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Anything to help the freaking Rangers. 21-26 and 26 overall, last in the Metropolitan, a whopping 19 points out of the wild card. The biggest headline for them is today, really. They trade their longtime captain, Andy Green, to the Islanders for a second-round pick and defenseman David Quenville. Um, you know what? Honestly, I've been ready to move on from Andy Green for probably two years now. So, you know, and he's, he, he did well for the Devils. I mean, he was there for, you know, the 2012 Stanley Cup run. He's been a consistently very good player, has represented the Devils with class, and, you know, couldn't ask anything more out of your longtime captain, I think. Um, the play wasn't always there. I don't think. I think he could have been a little more effective than he was in his time here. But you know, he did his great service, and I thank him for that. Um, getting a second round pick, I'm fine with that. And getting a prospect D man. I mean, the Devils need defensive man help, so anything will help at this point. But as soon as we got, as soon as we were going to start this, our good pal Scott, who hasn't been on in a while, texted me and said that the Devils traded. Blake Coleman. Now, at first, I was like, I'm not a fan of this. I don't really now know. Heard, now, even before that, yes, we actually heard earlier today from Scott mm-hmm. that Blake Coleman had been traded earlier to the Avalanche. To the yeah, to the Colorado Avalanche mm-hmm. for, for a potential first round de- pick. I don't know. Yeah, for a first round pick and details on others coming yeah. soon. Which ended up being false. Mm-hmm. So this one we were kind of skeptical right, about. Right. Um, but Bleacher Report okay. came out with this uh, right before we were going to come on here. So it is official. Devils traded Blake Coleman to Tampa. Forget this. A first-round pick and apparently a high-level prospect. Uh, first-round pick last year, you said. Nolan Foot. Which I'm interested about with why Tampa's trading him so quickly. Because... He Again, hasn't played, I think Tampa played a game in the NHL. Mm-hmm. He's played in the Western Ice uh, Western Hockey League uh, this year for twenty six game twenty six games for. I'm sorry if I butcher this name, Kelowna Rockets. Uh, he's played twenty six games, like I previously mentioned, fifteen goals, eighteen assists, amounting to thirty three points. Uh, so you're kind of excited about this. You're kind of. I mean, I, I mean, he's a first round pick. Yeah, you're I mean, getting so a second the, yeah. first round pick for this coming year that you guys get to choose your mm-hmm. own player. So the Devils essentially got two first round picks, mm-hmm. basically. And the other thing to mention, he also played in the World Juniors U20 Championships. So for Canada, for Team Canada, playing seven games, recording three goals and five assists. So. Uh, Again, I have to. I have to watch tape. I have to watch film on them. I will, but honestly, like when I heard those statistics being thrown at me, the first round pick I was ecstatic about because Blake Coleman. I know he's you know tied for the gate for the team leading goals with Kyle Palmieri with twenty one. Very good player. Very likable player. Fan favorite in New Jersey. But for a first round pick and a high level prospect, I mean Blake Coleman wasn't very. Uh, he wasn't a real high level guy that pe- a lot of people knew about. He just came on the scene about last year, I think. 
you know, people really started to recognize him and see what he was all about. You know, creative goal scorer in spurts, you know, on odd man rushes, you know, for the most part. But getting a first-round pick and a former, you know, first-round pick last year in the draft in the NHL, I'm kind of excited about this. I'm kind of okay with dealing a guy like Coleman, you know, because Tampa, again, like like the Islanders, for Tampa, this is a win-now kind of move. I think Blake Coleman can help them right away, step right into the lineup. I think maybe he'll play second, third line, maybe. And really, you know, he brings a good depth aspect to the Tampa Bay Lightning, which they need because, you know, they can't always rely on the big guys like Stamkos and Kucherov to, you know, get them out of trouble. So I think adding Coleman's a huge thing. It's an it's a important wing position there for Tampa. And for the Devils, it's all about rebuilding. It's all about the draft picks. It's all about the prospects. It's all about the future. So in the end, I know I wasn't too keen on trading Blake Coleman away, but I'm, gla- I'm kind of glad in return what they got. I'm very happy with that. So I will take that shortly. Um, again, the question remains, the goaltender situation. Mackenzie Blackwood has been okay. And honestly, he's been their best goaltender. He's 18 and 12 with a 2.79 goals against. I can't complain with it. He's been our best goaltender, and maybe he's got something to prove. Maybe he's proving, starting to prove some people wrong. Who knows? Um, Louis Domingue, Corey Schneider, not the. I mean, they do nothing for me. So I'm kind of, kind of intrigued in seeing what I am from Mackenzie Blackwood. But again, whether he's the answer, I really have no idea. So what do you, like? What do you? What are your in-depth thoughts about this Devils trade, the Blake for, Coleman trade? For the Blake Coleman trade, I mean, you're getting like I said, you're getting a first-round pick that you could do whatever you really want with. Uh, <clears throat> the Bolts are right now they sit at number two in the league, so the best you're going to get is a thirtieth pick mm. if they were to stay here at the end of the season, right? Um, and through playoffs, if they get to the Stanley Cup and they lose. Um, but I think the big thing you guys should look at is what you got, what you're about to get out of Nolan Foot, son of Adam Foot, who played for Colorado, who was a huge name in Colorado at the time. Big body, knew how to how to handle a stick, and I believe he was a defenseman that knew how to use his body. So, and if he wasn't a defenseman, he still knew how to use his mm-hmm. body. I think there's a lot to watch for in him. I think you got more than what Tampa Bay knew about him from not having him in the league at all. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it was his decision or if it was the organization's decision. But I think it should be exciting from here on out to see the progression of... Um, of Nolan Foot, I mean, it's all about the future. What is your What are your big thoughts? On, you said that you're kind of happy about the whole um, Andy Green, but I just think that it was Andy Green. I mean, Andy Green. I think I wouldn't say he overstayed his welcome. He was the captain. I know. You know, it's important to keep you know camaraderie in the locker room and stuff like that. But in the end, Andy Green just didn't do it for me anymore. Honestly, like. The Devils aren't going to name a new captain this year, next year, whatever. I don't know. But I think Andy Green was more – I think he's going to be more remembered for his – like how much of a leader he was 
on the ice, off the ice, not necessarily for his play. He always played hard. Like, I'll, I'll give that to him for sure. But, you know, he was never a big points getter. But he did make an impact on the defensive end. You know, that's why he was named captain of the Devils. He's very impactful. But I, I, I'll remember Andy Green more so for just his leadership abilities. Okay, so now follow-up question, basically. Do you see the Devils picking a new captain this year, or do you think it'll be picked on the offseason? And when they pick it, who do you think should it could be? I don't think they're going to pick it this year. I mean, it's already middle of the, middle of the season. I don't really know who... I want it to be. I don't because it's it's kind of really hard to believe any of these guys on this roster are captain material. And again, I don't know who's gonna come and go before the twenty fourth. I don't know if Kyle Palmieri is gonna be here. I don't know if Sammy Vatnin is gonna be here. I mean, if you ask me, my and Blake Coleman's gone. I mean, if you ask me, another. You know, a guy that hasn't been around too long, I mean, Sammy Vatnin would probably be an okay choice. I don't really think there's anybody on this Devils roster that is going to hold the captaincy, i got to be honest with you. Or that is, like, that is, re- that is, rep- that is represented the team long enough. I know the, the, the popular favorite is going to be Kyle Palmieri. Yeah, that's right. But I don't know if he's going to be here, though. Sure. That's my thing. He could be traded. I don't know. Because the Devils went on a fire sale today. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, the next day after that. And there's still been a lot of talk about Sammy Vatanen. Yeah. Who I really who don't want recently, to go. I really don't want him to go. Who was recently put on IR. True. Uh, so I don't know if that weighs into that decision. Mm-hmm. But who knows? I don't know. I really don't want them to trade him away. I feel like he's a guy you can build around. I also thought about that with Blake Coleman. But I thought about that with Jimmy Vesey and see what right. happened to him. I thought about that with Blake Coleman as or well. Or right. Or Ryan McDonough. But the, fact, <laughs> but the fact is with the Coleman trade, I'm, I'm ultimately happy with the return that they got. I'm excited about the idea of Nolan Foote. I don't know what he's going to be. Nobody knows. I mean, the Devils' prospect history is absolutely terrible in the last 15 years. But I don't know. I'm I'm optimistic. I mean, they got two first-round picks this upcoming draft. They basically had two first-round picks this year with the acquisition of Nolan Foote. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. But the biggest thing, defense and goaltending and more defense. That's the biggest thing. Seems like we're all in trouble with defense. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know. Where again, we thought we were all in trouble with goaltending, we're all actually in trouble with defense. Again, it's a. I think it's kind of a lost art, kind of in this modern day NHL, a little bit. I think, at least, because I think of the so this skill level has just grown so much. Could in be these young offensemen. Yeah, that you're kind of in the midst of the the game changing. Mm-hmm. With the speed of these players, could be that defense needs to really buckle down and and find a way to adapt. Mm-hmm. That very well could be. I I also agree with that. But again, I feel like we had this conversation probably a month or so ago. You know the the lost art of the punching the nose, hard rock defense is yeah. kind of being lost. Yep. So that's why I kind of think defense is kind of harder to come by in this modern-day NHL. But that also has to do with the skill level of all these young guys, these 18, 19, 20-year-old guys that are scoring at high levels, being playmakers at high levels. So we'll see. We'll see what happens going forward. 
with all three of our local hockey teams. So we changed it up a little bit. We started with the NHL. We will break. When we come back, we'll talk Knicks, Nets. Got a little Yankees, Mets to talk about. And our initial thoughts. We'll talk college basketball as well. And our initial thoughts, we didn't get to last week, of the XFL. We'll talk about all that when we come back. You're listening to the Tri-State Sports Beat. Do not go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to episode number 105 of the Tri-State Sports Beat. I know it was kind of confusing start because we started out with the NHL. We'll be. We are back to our regular schedule program. Approaching. Yes. So it's, it's. So it's kind of important right now that we start fire, off. Fire time. Yeah, fire time. Fireside chats. It's like what we're having right now. All right. The New York Knicks. I mean, there's not much to talk about because we're an All Star weekend. I guess I could just briefly mention that Aaron Gordon got robbed last night at the uh, slam dunk competition. I mean, congratulations to the to James Jr. who won the slam dunk competition last night, but. Aaron Gordon got absolutely robbed, and it's a shame that he does not have two trophies underneath both of his arms. But that's fine. Um, The Knicks, of course, continuing to make me go gray. I mean, not much new. But the fact that they won four straight games at the Pacers, at the Cavs, versus the Magic, and then at the Pistons. Nothing crazy. I mean, a win at the Pacers was huge. I mean, they're the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. That's kind of a confidence booster, if you ask me. But then they lost their last two at the Hawks versus the Wizards. The biggest problem I have with the Knicks, really the only problem at the moment I have with the Knicks, is that interim head coach Mike Miller is not... Listen to this, Joe. You'll get a kick out of this. Not Will not increase young players' minutes even though they're struggling a little bit. What do I preach all the time with this Nick team? What I have for the past two years. What do I preach? The D word. Development. Development. Yeah, I've heard you say that once or twice. Once or twice? You think so? Really? I just have one question. Why? Yes, but they need... I'm going to be devil's advocate here. Sure. Yes, but they need consistency. Okay. That's hard to argue with. But this team is not going anywhere. What are we, like... They're not going anywhere. What You're is, right. What is the point... You're right. ...of playing Taj... What's the point of starting Taj Gibson? Help him get his momentum. Taj Gibson is going to retire in three years. What is the point? Why do you not play Mitchell Robinson, who's almost averaging... Two blocks per game. And, let's see, just under 10 points a game. Why? Why are, like, and Wayne Ellington too. Reggie Bullock as well. These guys are all 25 and up. Why? What is the point? I don't understand. They're not giving guys like Damian Dotson. Alonzo Trier's a forgotten name for some reason. Dennis Smith Jr., even Kadeem freaking Allen, who I know nothing about. And especially Iggy Brozdinkis, the former Michigan Wolverine. Why aren't these guys getting any time? They're 17 and freaking 38. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? I understand you just won four straight games. We're all excited. We like we just won the freaking NBA title. But, like, because that's where the standards of the New York Knicks are, for that matter. But, like, what? Why? Alonzo Trier, a forgotten name and a favorite name of mine, he's averaging 
12 minutes a game, 6 points a game, give this kid an opportunity. I don't understand what Mike Miller doesn't like about Damian Dotson or Kadeem Allen or Alonzo Trier or Dennis Smith Jr. I really just don't understand it. The fact that he'd rather play these veteran guys like Taj Gibson, who's on the worst half of 30, and Reggie Bullock and Wayne Ellington, who the who the Knicks, honestly, all three of those guys were looking to trade at the trade deadline time. So, you know, what's really the point there is even more boggling to me. I just don't get it. I've been preaching. I know it does. I know what I say, the Knicks, it doesn't affect the Knicks in any capacity whatsoever. But, like, I'm not the only one that feels this way. I'm really not. Give these young kids a shot, please. I don't understand how it hurts. It only hurts the young guys if you don't play them. Frank Nielakina as well. I mean, he's been playing. I'll give him that. Frank's been averaging 20 minutes a game. But, like, and that's fine. But, again, giving the young guys, like I just said, why isn't Iggy Brunzdinkis up on this roster? Why don't you want to see what you have in this kid, your second-round pick from this year? I don't understand. I really don't. Moving on to the Brooklyn Nets. They've actually won four of their last five without Kyrie. With a win over the Suns, the Warriors, the Pacers, and they broke the longest win streak in the NBA by the Toronto Raptors this year at 15 with a 101-91 win. That sounds pretty good, right, Joe? Sounds great. That sounds great. 25-28 and 28 overall. They're under 500, but they're holding on to that seventh spot in the East. Six games separate them and the Pacers for the sixth seed, and they lead the eight seed Magic by two games. So the Nets are kind of really in this weird spot right now. Um, you know, no Kyrie. Spencer Dinwiddie's their leading scorer at the moment. Karis LeVert with 15.3 points per game. Joe Harris, who competed in the three-point competition, didn't win, unfortunately. Um, you got Jared Allen averaging almost two blocks a game, just playing defensively, you know, playing great defensively, as he always has. I'm very... I don't know where the Nets are right now. Being this seventh seed right now, being only two games ahead of the eight-seed Magic... You want to know where they are? Yes. They're in no man. They're in mediocre. They're in, yes. They're also in no man's land. They really are. Because, like, I don't know if they're good because they're in this seventh seed, but the East is just so bad. They're three games under 500, but they're still in the seventh seed. It's such a weird, it's kind of like last year a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like last year. I guarantee you they, they keep that seven spot. They make the playoffs. And they get bounced in the first round the first by a by a Toronto or no, I mean or I Miami. Now that they beat Toronto, well, tr- so once, once, once without Kawhi, eh. it is a, they won't be getting Kawhi back anytime soon. Uh, so, oh, what am I saying? That's Toronto. That's Toronto. Toronto hasn't had Kawhi was, all year. I was going to say, wow, wow, <laughs> duh, without Kawhi, duh, wow. Where is my head lately? Well, yeah, well, Kawhi hasn't been playing really that much either. No, I, he really I, hasn't. I so that's what that. I mean, that's kind of why I said that. But duh. <laughs> we're gonna keep that in there. I was like, he's not exactly <laughs> for Toronto. Um, but the Nets are just such in this weird spot right now. Could they move up and maybe be that top six seed in the East, or are they in more? 
serious jeopardy of missing out on the playoffs. It's kind of like 50-50 each way mm-hmm. because Orlando's not horrible. You know, the bottom couple teams in the East are bad, you know, as far as the whole NBA landscape goes. But I don't know. I really have my question whether the Nets can really hold on to this seven seed or if they're going to fall. It really depends what Nets team we're going to get game in, game out. It really, it really just depends on that. Also depends on when the hell is Kyrie Irving going to come back and when is he going to stay healthy for a consistent amount of time. If the Nets get a healthy Kyrie for the second half of the year, they will be fine. They will be fine. They maybe even move into the top six in the East with Indiana, with Miami, with Toronto, Boston, and Milwaukee. But I don't know. I don't know. Moving on, we're going to talk some college basketball because we haven't talked some college basketball yet. A little local flavor going on. A little bit. In this college basketball season. The best of which being Seton Hall right now at the moment. 18-6, and six, number 10 in the AP and coaches poll. So top 10 for Seton Hall. It's been a long time since we've seen them there. Their last five games have not been awesome, though. They lost at, uh, versus Xavier at home, lost at Georgetown, win at Villanova, lost versus Creighton, and then most recently yesterday they were upset by Providence. Um, really more the same as last year, really, for Seton Hall. Miles Powell leading the way, 21.4 points per game, 31 minutes. Quincy McKnight, Miles Kale doing their thing. I mean, the Big East is really, I mean, it's Seton Hall, it's Villanova, it's, that's really that's really it. I think we're going to end up getting another Villanova-Seton Hall Big East championship game like we did last year. I can really see that happening. I think Seton Hall is a better team than they were last year. I think they go into the NCAA tournament as maybe a two seed, and they two three seed. Maybe we'll see. We still got a long ways to go. We still got well, actually, almost a month. Look how far time flies. But that's really it for Seton Hall. They're probably one of the more exciting teams in this local area. St. John's. Wow, have they disappointed me? Fourteen and eleven, just like everyone else. else. Fourteen and eleven, ninth in the Big East. Their last five win at the pole, who they couldn't beat for crap last year. Loss at loss at the Garden versus Villanova. Loss versus Georgetown. Loss at Creighton, and then a win against Providence. The big storyline for St. John's is that they lost their one of their veteran leaders, Mustafa Heron, for the rest of the season due to aggravating a lingering ankle injury. He has likely played his final minutes for St. John's, and it's unfortunate. You know, transferring here as a junior, you know, giving all he's got. You know, he got he suffered this ankle injury, I believe, last year, and it just lingers on, and he will no longer play again for St. John's, I don't think. But again, nothing really shocking here as far as the stats go. LJ Figueroa leading the way for St. John's. Rasheem Dunn, 12.5 points per game. Um, Julian Champagne, 8.8. He's been very surprising as of late. I think he's probably been the most surprising for St. John's this year. Um, You know, in a head coach's first year, in Coach Anderson's first year with St. John's, you know, it's going to take a while. It's going to be a process. St. John's is a school that really relies a lot on transfer students. You know, we saw Marvin Clark third last year. He made an awesome impact. Mustafa Heron, LJ Figueroa. You know, not a lot of guys come in as freshmen in St. John's and are great right away. St. John's really has struggled over the years, even when Chris Mullen was the head coach with recruiting. You know, and 
it's no shock to us that St. John's is not a premier school to go play basketball anymore. This is not the 1980s. This is not the 1970s either. So, I mean, St. John's is kind of in the middle of the road, too. I mean, I question whether they're going to make it to the NCAA tournament. If they just made it last year, I really do have my doubts whether they'll make it this year. Very disappointing year, year one for Coach Anderson. But I think the future is a little bit more promising for St. John's next year. And a team that we have never, ever talked about on the Tri-State Sports Bean. Oh, 105 episodes. They're giving us a reason to talk about them. New Jersey's own Rutgers Scarlet Knights. You could for tell basketball. for basketball. For basketball. You can tell it's kind of a slow season here for New York sports, New York area sports. But Rutgers is actually 17 and 0 at home. Hello. They're 17 and 8. 5th in the Big 10. Their last 5 win versus Purdue, loss versus Michigan. Loss at number nine, Maryland. Win versus Northwestern and a loss at Ohio State. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I've maybe watched a half a game of Rutgers, but this Ron Harper Jr. guy, their leading scorer, 11.2 points per game, averaging 5.6 rebounds and assists, a steal per game, 27 and a half minutes. Looks like a pretty good NFL, uh, wow, NFL, NBA prospect to me. He looks pretty legit. Um, Rutgers is going to be an interesting, you know, going into March, whether, I mean, they're going to be a difficult team to see, you know, being fifth in the Big Ten. I think they'll get in the tournament if they keep rolling like they are at the moment. But I don't know. Rutgers is just a really good story right now. You see all the local newspapers when we're back at home in New Jersey, New York Post, New York Daily News, you know, the, the Washington Post. I mean, they're all over the place, this Rutgers team. You know, you see them on the back page and, most articles in these newspapers and everyone's like kind of catching some local flavor it's really weird that you know to finally have a team in new jersey like a college team and it be ruckers that people are starting to rally around it's kind of strange i really like i know a couple students that go to ruckers and they're like well like this team is legit they're really good they're exciting to watch and you know honestly i'm gonna have to tune into a little more ruckers because being a new being new jersey guys i mean It'd be nice to have a New Jersey team try and represent. I know we had Philly Dickinson last year as a 16 seed. He didn't get too far. But to have the big team, to have the big cheese and ruckers as far as New Jersey sports go, it'd be a great story. It's always fun to root for your hometown team, basically. So Yeah, it'd be. I mean, it would be a great story. I think, I don't know how far ruckers is going to get. Co- especially at that college level, especially like what phase of life that we're for in. Sure. It's it's cool to have that team, especially knowing people that go there. that go there, for sure. I mean, I would love it to see ESU go all the way, Division Two. Hello, Jesus. I mean, our basketball team's pretty good, but they are pretty good. They're pretty good for Division Two. Just yeah. saying, go ESU Warriors. That's what it's all about. All right, we will break once again when we come back. We will. I will talk Yankees Mets a little bit, and we will end with some XFL. We will talk. Who would have thought? Right. Not necessarily the games, but we'll talk about what we think about the product. Our initial thoughts. Or we think it's going to last. I mean, they're locked into a three-year deal with ES- with Disney, ESPN, Fox. We'll see. It's actually competent football, which is something I never thought would come out of my mouth before. And then we will end with On This Day in Sports History like we always do. You're listening to the Tri-State Sports Beat. We'll be right back. Do not go anywhere. 
All right, welcome back to the Tri-State Sports Bee, our final segment. I will do some quick baseball stuff, and then we will touch on the XFL. Just a little bit of Yankee stuff going on, just some comments that General Manager Brian Cashman made about the whole Astros cheating situation, and I promise it's the last time I'm talking about this, this whole Astros crap. I'm putting this to bed right after this. So Cashman just decided to, you know, he was asked about it, commented on the apologies made by Astros owner Jim, uh, Jim Craig, um, Jose Altuve, and Alex Bregman. Cashman had this to say, I definitely think that it had an effect on things without question. The Houston Astros were dealing with a distinct advantage, more so than their opponents. That's a fact. Um, I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion about this Astros thing. You know, I've given my opinion. We've all given our opinion. Um, I'm sorry, it's Jim Crane, not Jim Craig. I said Jim Craig because I was thinking about Miracle. That is the Miracle's goalie. That is the Miracle's goalie. Um, Jim Crane responded to this, uh, responded to Cashman by saying, listen, the Yankees have had a few comments out there. Our opinion is that this didn't impact the game. Crane said on Thursday, we had a good team, we won the World Series, and we'll leave it at that. The fact that Jim Crane refuses to say that this tainted the 2017 World Series championship is absolutely absurd. Um, now, this next part isn't Yankees-related, but I just feel that these apologies were just too little too late. Um, I felt they were very scripted. Um, you know, they were basically written on a piece of paper. And Cody Bellinger of the Los Angeles Dodgers commented on this, on these apologies and just the situation in, gen- in general. Um, he said this via ESPN. Those guys were cheating for three years, Bellinger said. Um, I think that... I think what people don't realize is that Jose Altuve stole MVP from Aaron Judge in 2017. Everyone knows they stole the ring from us, but it's over, talking about the Dodgers. Bellinger also continued by saying, I don't know what human hits a walk-off home run against a Roldis Chapman to send your team to the World Series. And one has, has the thought to say, don't rip off my jersey, but two, go into the tunnel, change your shirt, and then come out and do your interview. That makes no sense to me. Also finished off by saying, I lost respect for those guys. I would say everyone in the show, in the big leagues, lost respect for those guys. So, I mean, that's really it as far as the Yankees' perspective on the whole Astros thing. But good news is, pitchers and catchers did report. We've seen Garrett Cole in a Yankee uniform, and I am more excited than I thought. So, let's move on from this whole Astros thing. I'm sick and tired of talking about it. But new things seem to come out every single freaking week. I'm done talking about the Astros. You will not hear about it anymore on here. So, moving on a little bit to the New York Mets. Just a little bit of news there. They are in spring training as well as the Yankees. But some news around the... We talked about last week. We laughed a little bit about the whole Mets sale situation because we said they were huge Indian givers, which still stand behind, absolutely. Um, Alex Rodriguez has emerged as a potential candidate to buy the New York Mets. And this was Thomas McEnery of the New York Post reported on Friday that Rodriguez is considering a plan similar to the ones used by former New York Yankees teammate Derek Jeter to acquire the Miami Marlins. A-Rod and his fiancée singer Jennifer Lopez would be the faces of a large ownership group with several wealthy investors. Is this a good move for A-Rod? Sure. 
I mean, it's always a good move to buy a baseball team if you can afford it. Um, I think it's probably smart that he takes the route Derek Jeter did because he is a player. Probably he's a little he's been retired for a couple years, but he still has that player mindset. A-Rod's a huge entrepreneur as well. He um you know, has a lot of business ventures. I feel like this would just be another probably his top priority, obviously. It's a billion dollar franchise. So I think A-Rod would actually be a decent fit, but this is well, you know, far from even being considered. So, but I think it would be a smart move for A-Rod to go in with large investors to, you know, try and buy the New York Mets and see what happens. I mean, it's a very intriguing place to purchase a baseball team in the city of New York. So, Joe, I'll bring you back in here. Our initial thoughts. I want to know your thoughts first on the Extreme Football League. I think it's actually decent football. Mm -hmm. I think that... It has the potential to succeed um, from what we saw through one and a half weeks, almost two full weeks, um, has proven that some of these teams actually have potential NFL caliber players, if I dare say so mm-hmm. myself. Um not really putting any names to that yet because, I mean, it's only been two, two weeks. weeks. Everybody has a good week. There are familiar names that have played in the league before. Yeah. Um, I think it's a cool setup with the whole kickoff situation. Is that what you like most about it? I like – well, actually, I like the uh, – the thing I like the most about it is the reviewing and uh, the mic'd up. Mm-hmm. Um, basically – all the offensive players, other than the offensive line, are mic'd up, mic'd up every game. So quarterback, wide receivers, running backs. Oh, it makes the game speed speed, speed up. up a little little bit. So I, I kind of like that. Um, and the other thing with the whole reviewing process, I like how they bring the video team into – or the media team into those rooms and really get the thoughts behind – the people reviewing review. plays yeah. and scoring plays, mm-hmm. or however, it, however they review anything mm-hmm. in the game. Um, I like the whole. You get to really see the thoughts of those people instead of having you kind of guess what was going through their head. Or so it's like you kind of already know what's happening before the call even goes to the field. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest. In the NFL, when you look at a play, you're like, oh, yeah, this, 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 and this. But then you get that view from the professional, like somebody that's that's studied those plays and studied the rules so heavily and that are going to make the call that's either in favor or in favor of the other team or your team. See, I don't – see, I actually could do – I like it, but I could do without it because as a fan watching on TV, I kind of like the suspense – of waiting for a call by an official, I think that kind. I think the XFL kind of takes that away a little bit. And even when you're in the stadium, like you know, you still don't know either way because you know the officials are yeah. you know, being mic'd up on TV. But I think at home, you know, I'd like to see the suspense of what the call is going to be. Is it going to stand? Are they going to overturn it? What you know? What's the deal? I like the idea. I don't know. You know, the end. You know, we live in a copycat society, so I feel like the NFL can take a lot of things from the XFL, especially the kickoffs. I think the kickoffs um, are great. I think 
players not being able to move until the ball is caught, I think that's very smart because it still gives you a high action play, no touchbacks, you know, going ten yards deep to the back of the end zone. It's not exciting. It's boring. Yeah, the NFL, I, that's the. I'm, I forgot about that whole thing about. Like, if you get it kicked off into the end zone, there's no such thing as a touchback no, anymore. there's not. If you get it kicked out of bounds on a punt, like, it's still They put it on, like, the 35-yard line, yeah. Like that. So I think, it, I think it helps the offense a little bit. Um, and, again, it kind of it makes those punters and kickers on it the It really puts some kickoff. strategy into it. Yeah. So I, I, I like that, too. I, yeah. did, I forgot about that. But go ahead. Um... Yeah, I do enjoy that. I think the NFL can really benefit from that if they maybe, you know, copy that from the XFL. Just from, like, pure football perspective, I like the kickoffs. I haven't seen a whole lot of this, but I cannot wait to. I think more towards, like, the XFL playoffs or whatever playoff format that is. The double forward pass is really interesting to me. Being able to pass the ball twice behind the line of as long as it's behind the line of scrimmage, I think that just opens up offenses so much in this league where they're all about fans like they're all their entertainment they're all about the fans the fans love high scoring offensive games offensive innovation i should say so i'm a huge fan of this double forward pass thing i think you know again like it opens up for you know defenses have to be really on their toes for the for these kind of offenses i think it gives you know Teams on the offensive side, huge advantages, especially in big points in the game, where honestly, I've seen two weeks of XFL football, and surprisingly, points are kind of hard to come by, mm-hmm. we've seen. So, I also really... Not, lo- there's, it's not a gimme league. No, like it's not. AAF it's ones. not. I also have grown to like the fact of the one, two, and three point conversions after a touchdown. Yeah, I wasn't 100% keen on it at first but seeing it now in real time and in mm-hmm. games it does put a completely new aspect into it and mm-hmm. it, it it forces the offense to dictate what you score instead sure. of giving it's in the nfl it's like a gimme point mm-hmm. I, I like the fact that it, it really challenges the offense are you really good enough to go for one two or three points mm-hmm. And most I think most of the times we've seen the one point yeah most of the time yes. but I mean I mean we haven't had a close enough XFL game to see you know are they going to go for two on this play they're going to go for three on this play the fact that you can score a touchdown and then essentially score a field goal after that without yeah. even having to get the ball back I think it's cool I think it's really cool I mean I no, think, no I points are given is, like you said I, th- I think this is something that. Ha, like I said earlier, has the potential to grow to something that, not to the caliber of the NFL, mm-hmm. but it could actually be better than the CFL. Oh, for sure, could be uh, better than the Arena Football League. I yeah. think it. You know, it's not. A, I mean, those two leagues have been around for a long time. No disrespect to them. You know, it's football. Wherever you get that, if you enjoy it, great. I think I think you're right. I think you're onto something. I think the XFL is actually somewhat watchable football. Definitely more watchable. They I think the XFL in one week had more viewership than the AAF did all year last year. Yeah, I think that's what you came up with that stuff. Which from, is just from Twitter. I mean, the AAF was just so bad. Um, now let me get your thoughts on this. You had previously said that the XFL is something for the fans for mm-hmm. entertainment pur- purposes. Right. Now, we know that Green Bay does this. 
in the NFL, mm-hmm. and it has their fans control the owners. They're essentially the, the fans are essentially the owners. They buy stock in the team. If the XFL grows to the caliber that is bigger than it, and the CFL, AAF, my answer is Arena, yes. Arena. I will buy stock in the New York Guardians with you. No, what I'm saying <laughs> is, do you see, can you see who's the owner? It's it's Andrew Luck's father, well, correct? Well, he's the commissioner. Co- he's the commissioner of the league. Commissioner. The owner is Vince McMahon of WWE. He's can the he's the owner see, of all the teams. Can you see if they start selling out games for each becoming team, more popular? Yes, becoming more popular. Do you see each team actually going that way and saying this is a new rule of the XFL where uh, fans can buy stock in this team and that will dictate what we do on off-seasons? Sure. I mean, if the XFL is really about the fans as they say that they are... That's not a bad idea, right? Now that again, that I've never heard anything like that. No, it's just something I have. I Thought literally of. came up with on the spot. But that that is actually that could possibly be. I think that would be huge. honestly, honestly, something like that. Something like that, honestly, could along the lines maybe push somebody to say, "Am I going to watch the NFL mm. or am I going to watch the XFL?" Now they're in two different seasons, so it'll be e- that's what I'm saying. It's it'll be easy or, to dictate but, in the beginning. Right. But the thing is, it's like the old NFL and the AFL. You're gonna pledge your allegiance to the old NFL, yeah. or you're gonna pledge your allegiance to the AFL. You're gonna pledge your allegiance to the NFL now, or the XFL now. And who knows? Maybe they could merge. Uh, and that's down the line, though. That's not saying. I mean, honestly, three, honestly, years, where the NFL is going. Where the NFL is going with wanting to have teams in London, expanding out to Las Vegas, maybe you know, wanting use, teams overseas, I could see maybe that. Maybe they come to agreements with the XFL and have the XFL be like the the test subject for that. Sure. I mean, we've seen it in the past. If they get big enough. I've seen it in the past where... You know, the NFL has had developmental leagues, and they just not work. The AAF, the... I'm not uh, saying development. Right, right. I know what you're saying, but... I know what you're saying, but... Whenever, like, the NFL tries to partner with something, it just ends up not working because the NFL is just way too popular. Yeah. That's just the thing. If anything, the NFL would just buy out the XFL outright and take it and just basically put it away. Mm -hmm. But if they buy the XFL, I mean, who knows? We, We don't know. The X-Folk, for all we know, could stand on its own for 20 years like the CFL has, or even longer. Mm-hmm. They've been around even longer. So it's interesting. It, it would be interesting to see something like that. Mm-hmm. And after, say, after the first three years, if they make it three years, mm-hmm. see what they do and see how the NFL gauges them as a competitor. Yeah. I mean, if you were old enough to remember – Watching the one-year-old XFL, so gimmicky. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was we're basically. Actually, we're going to finish this podcast and we're yeah. going to go watch the thirty for thirty. It on, was uh, just <laughs> on the old XFL. Like it had WWF at the time written all over it, and basically the story is 
Vince McMahon, Dick Ebersol, who was the CEO, president of NBC Sports at the time, were like, this is a great idea. The NFL is not in session right now. We're looking for new football, and it just didn't end up working out. So if you you do get the chance, watch the old XFL and then compare it to what it is now, you'll kind of more – I kind of – you know, when the XFL, this idea first came back, I was like, there's no way. Like, this is going to be crap. Like, this is going to fold in a year. Now, actually, like, watching a week – and you know, watching this week a little bit, this league could stand. I don't. I'm not going to say it's not going to fold, but maybe it can stand on its own two feet. I'm not sure. Now, we don't plan to talk about the XFL exclusively on here. So if you're looking for that, you're looking for the wrong podcast. But listen, we're going to cover sports that are relevant. Relevant. If it becomes right. relevant... If the New York Guardians become relevant and the biggest story in the city, we're going to talk about them. Yeah. Now, you know, they're one and one They had, like, an interesting altercation yesterday, which is another thing with the XFL I, I don't know if I like, is the whole interviewing players on the sideline right after they get off the field. That get, I don't know if I like The thing is, yet. you get raw emotion. Yes, that's and that's what the XFL wants. Yeah. That's what Vince so, McMahon wants. So... That's like one of the another one of the other big changes that the NFL mm-hmm. and XFL have comparative to each other is you will get raw emotion mm-hmm. from the XFL. But the big thing is too, like this keeps sticking out in my mind. I think it was it was it had to be last week. A sideline reporter interviewed a kicker after he missed a kick. Okay, she asked, "What happened on that kick?" What are you going to say if you're that kicker? I missed. What else do you want me to say? Like, they, all right, I it's think, a little windy well, out. Think, uh, the hold was being, bad. I don't know. I think being the first week, they were kind of just jumping on everything. Oh, right. Right, right, right. There's going to be spot. Uh, there's going to be a time and place for those kinds of things. Definite room. Like, they have, what, now eight more weeks to perfect this and get better at this. So, I mean... We don't really, again, two weeks in, we don't know what the XFL is or is going to be. But I'll tell you this. It's somewhat competent football. And the NFL could probably benefit from taking little bit of chunks from the XFL going maybe in the next five years. And that's only within a week that we've right. seen. Right. So who knows? I mean, there are some things that the old XFL had, the new one has, like the sideline interviews with the players. And, you know, coaches being mic'd up for the plays and whatnot. But I'm thankful that Vince McMahon kind of learned from his mistakes in the old XFL, which was just, again, so gimmicky, had had wrestling written all over it, which if you're not a wrestling fan, you're not into. You totally respect that. That's cool. Um, but this actually seems like professional football this time around, which I thought we weren't going to get because it's Vince McMahon. He's very unpredictable. He's off the wall. He's freaking nuts. So, but it's actually competent football. And maybe that's why ESPN and Fox tagged along with this. Basically, Disney. Disney owns both Fox and ESPN. So, basically, Disney bought the rights to the XFL and partnered up with, you know. So, we'll see. We'll see. We're only two weeks in. There's eight more weeks to go. And including the playoffs, I guess, if they're going to have playoffs. I really don't know what stipulation... You know, I think it'll be. I think it'll be in their favor if they do playoffs. Probably. I mean, the fact that the ratings were as high, 
you know, as they, as they were last week, and who knows what they're going to be this week. But but we'll see what happens as far as the XFL goes, and if it becomes big, we might talk about it. Might. But those are our initial thoughts on the XFL. Let's finish out episode number 105, like we always do. It is time for On This Day in Sports History. All right, Joe, what do we got, pal? Today's trivia, <clears throat> on February 16th, 1982, who became the first American man to win the Olympic gold medal oh. in downhill skiing? The hell if I know. Bill Johnson. It's a very generic name. It is. You should have huh. figured that one out. Uh, very American name. I would have said Bruce Jenner or Caitlin, whatever. Her name is now. Nope, wasn't him. Wasn't him. Her. Got it. Got it. Her. Don't want to get confused. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, happy birthdays to Herb Williams. Oh. John McEnroe. 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 The tennis legend. You just messed up John McEnroe's name. Never heard of him. Oh! Kelly Tripuca. Kelly Tripuca. Jerome Bettis. Good. Knew that oh, one. The bus. Eric... Bar, bar, <laughs> Bernays. B Y R N E S. Try to spell that. All right. Say it. <laughs> spell it. Say it. <laughs> However you want. John McEnroe. Amen and Amen Green. Amen Green. Yes. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> These last two weeks have really got you. <laughs> They're struggle bus. <laughs> on the struggle bus. Struggle bus. The Jerome Bettis. <laughs> I, I, I'm on the, uh, the struggle drum man. The struggle <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right, boy. So John McEnroe. <laughs> That's a good one. That's another one. <laughs> <laughs> on this day, in 2005, Commissioner Gary Bettman, Ooh. dare I say his name, canceled... You're not a fan of Gary? Not for this reason. Okay. Canceled the 0405 NHL season. This was the first time that a North American professional sports league canceled an entire season due to a labor dispute. Pay your athletes, Gary. Pay your athletes. That's all I got to say on that. So really, well, I, I actually never asked you that. You're such a big hockey fan. For all of your life, I never asked you this question. Let's end on this since you brought it up. What are your book? Well, the book brought it up. What are your thoughts on Gary Bettman overall? I think he's just sleazy. I'm not a hundred percent on his side. He's kind of gross. Not a hundred percent against him. He kind of that makes me feel uncomfortable. The fact that he has not not gone with the times and and paid his athletes. The numbers that NFL players, baseball players, basketball players have been able to, to negotiate with, he is the the most penny pinching little man that I think I've ever had the chance to witness in a commissioner spot of a professional. Even worse than Roger Goodell, you think? Do you see how much these athletes are getting paid in the NFL? Yeah. And it, the price is going up. Right. 
The price is going up for these players. Right. Gary Bettman does not negotiate. He gets what he wants. Even after that, he the, the NHLPA did not get what they wanted. He a penny pinching little man. He sounds like another pinching little man. Sounds like another penny pinching little man that just happens to own Madison Square Garden. I I'm w- sure he's best friends with them. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they're just an awesome tandem, and they they both play the kazoo together. And James Dolan, <laughs> stupid little band. <laughs> On that note, that is episode number one hundred and five of the Tri-State Sports Beat. Thank you guys so much for listening. Follow us on all of our social media at Tri-State underscore Beat on Twitter at Tri-State Sports Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Instagram and Facebook, I'm sorry. Joe, we got some edits coming up. We got some segments from our friend Louis Two Steps coming up this week. Thank you guys again so much for all the support. We appreciate it, and we love you all. Thank you guys so much. Yes, blow the kisses. Fantastic. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next week on the Tri-State Sports Beat.